Turn with me your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Today we continue our study on series entitled Great Expectations. The first two Sundays of our series on Great Expectations, we looked at the life of Joshua. And we encourage you to pray the prayer, or to take to heart the prayer that God gave to Joshua. To be strong and to courageous, to not be afraid, to not be discouraged. For the Lord your God would be with you wherever you go. And last week in the message, I, I asked, what is your son's standstill prayer? Many of you have shared some of those prayers with me this week. And I know a few of those prayers have been answered this week. Some of those in a decision that has been made. But God is providing opportunities. And we continue to pray with you these sun stand still prayers. Today we're going to look at the life of Abraham. Abraham is one of the greatest men in the Bible. His story is found in Genesis chapter 11 through Genesis chapter 25. In your bulletin, you will find a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, there are three words, plans, dreams, and goals. You see, we all have plans, dreams, and goals. We all desire that our life counts for something significant. We want our life to have meaning and purpose. We want our life to account for something great. I'm sure that Abraham had plans, dreams, and goals, just like you and I have plans, dreams, and goals. In order for us to understand Abraham's life, we have to go back 40 centuries, back to the to a city by the name of Ur, Ur of Chaldeans, a large city on the banks of the Euphrates River. It's in Iraq. Historians tell us that Ur was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. It probably had an inhabitants at Abraham's time of about 250,000 people. There was an ancient university there and a large library there. And Ur was known as a center of mathematics, astronomy, in international commerce. It was also a center of pagan worship. And we know that uh, Abraham's family worshipped idols. We find that in the Old Testament. But when Abraham encountered God, it all changed for him. And he began to worship the one true God. Just think about this. Consider these facts about Abraham. He is revered by the followers of three world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He's a man of faith who changed the course of history. When the writer of Hebrews wants to describe what faith looks like, he gives more space to Abraham than any other person in the book of Hebrews. Jesus spoke about Abraham and his faith. So did the Apostle Paul. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see this phrase, Abraham believed God. And that's basically what faith is, isn't it? Belief in God, trust in God. We also know that Abraham, when the story starts, was about 75 years of age. He had a lot of property. He had accumulated quite a bit of wealth. And he had a wife. Her name was Sarai, and eventually it would become, you changed to Sarah, and they were without a child. 
Our story today begins at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. As we begin this story today, my hope is that I can communicate with you how much God loves you. How he has done all that you need for you to have a relationship with him. That he has provided for you this cup of salvation that we talked about earlier from Revelations. And I want to challenge you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus this morning. To be obedient to his call upon your life. That's why I for a word of prayer. Lord, I need you this morning. First service, I felt that I had so much material and so little time to cover it. And Lord, I I feel like what you've laid on my heart is significant. And that we need to hear this word today. Would you speak through your scriptures today? Would we understand, help us to understand how much you love us as we study your word? And we pray this in your wonderful name. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 puts it this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Why would you go anywhere if you did not know where you were going? You see, it's an issue of faith. It's an issue of trust. And you see, the truth is, if we're going to have intimacy with someone, if we're going to have an intimate relationship with someone, we must be willing to trust them with our stuff, with our self. And so it was an issue of faith. A lot of times when we talk about faith, typically we talk about ideas. We talk about statements of faith, the I believes, that talk about the existence of God. And that's how we express our faith. And yet at the core of faith is not a statement of faith, but trust in the Lord. Trust in the one who is our Savior. Trust in a person. You see, there's a big difference between the two. So let me ask you a question. Why would you trust anyone? There's a lot of different reasons to trust, but the reality is when you trust somebody, you you take a risk. Now, there's little risk and there's big risk. A little risk would be simply trusting someone when they say, hey, I want you to check out this movie or go to this restaurant. You know, you'll, you'll enjoy it. And, and you trust them and say, yeah, I think I'll, I'll do that. And they're taking a risk sharing that information with you because you may hate it. And so there's an issue of trust. But that's just a little risk. A big risk. What would be a big risk? Well, say, well, say you uh, stand here in front of the church, and this beautiful girl walks down the altar, down to the front, and 
and you're on the right and she's on the left and you face one another and you exchange vows and you say, I will, and you pledge yourself for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death do us part. Now, that's a big risk. You're deciding that you're going to trust somebody with your life, really, your, your being, your, your stuff. But the greater the risk, the greater the opportunity for intimacy. Abraham comes to this place. Go. Lord, where do you want me to go? Well, I'll tell you. Just wait and see. And he trusts God and and he goes to this place that God has for him. But it's a big risk. And that's how it is in faith when we take a step in faith. In your bulletin, there's a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, it says plans, dreams, and goals. Several years ago, I read a book entitled Pair Bonding, Bonding in the Image of God. It was written by uh, a guy by the name of uh, Donald Joy. Now, Donald Joy was a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary when he wrote this. If you'll put that up, uh, here's the pair bonding diagram. And he goes through these 12 steps. He said, this is what was needed for a healthy relationship in a monogamous relationship, a healthy relationship in marriage. And so he... He took this study that was done by an anthropologist, zoologist, a man, guy who studied animals and studied man. And this guy said these 12 things were essential for a healthy relationship and marriage. And then he put the scripture to it, leave, cleave, and the two become one flesh. And what's so exciting about this is it helps us to understand the process of intimacy. And so it starts down at the bottom, eye to body. Then eye to eye and voice to voice. Now, this could happen very quickly in a relationship where you just had that first encounter. You're like, you see that girl and say, hey, you know, she's kind of cute. And you're checking her out. And, and I remember Debbie. She was at uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene University running around a gym class when I first noticed her. And, and then there was this eye to eye contact. And, you know, is she interested in me? And then you move to voice to voice. And I remember going up to our freshman, her freshman dorm room. I was a sophomore at the time. And we started having these conversations. And I kind of thought to myself, I kind of like this girl. And so that was very quick uh, over a period of weeks. And then for us, and then there's this hand-to-hand. Where you just grab somebody's hand and you're proclaiming to the world around you that, hey, this is somebody special in my life. And, and uh, I remember that occasion. And then the arm to shoulder. Now, when we go to a restaurant... We sit beside each other in that restaurant, and we begin to talk and share life's story, where we've been, where we've come from, our stories about one another. And then you move to arm to waist, and there's a little more intimacy there, there's a little closerness, but you're still sitting side by side in the restaurant. And at any point, you could leave at this point and and walk away from the relationship. There would be some hurt and some heartache, but you could walk away. Well, then you move face to face, and this is really not about kissing, It's more about this encounter that the two of you have. Now, when you go to a restaurant, you sit side by side and you begin to share what are called vault experiences. The reason they're called vault experiences is because you share it. When it goes in, it doesn't come out. I'm sharing things with you that I wouldn't share with others. And so you begin to write down some of your plans, your dreams, your goals. I remember we we talked about each other. We talked about how many children we'd like to have. And we began to share some of these intimate moments. And we planned, you know, shared our plans, our dreams, and our goals. And so on my piece of paper, there's two people. And then there's uh, the 
the possibility of two children, which is what we ended up having. And, and then I, I have a mountain here. I, I know you really can't see it, but there's a mountain here. Because at that point, and I thought that I would be a manager of a ski lodge, and it would be a Christian ski lodge. Billy Murray and I, we were going to open our own Christian ski resort. You know, you have these plans and these dreams and these goals, but you kind of lay those down for whatever God wants for you, and, and his ways are better than your ways, and, and he develops those over the years. And then there's this hand-to-head. And, you know, I, I don't really like anybody to touch my head. Are you kind of that way? It's okay if the, the gal that cuts my hair, she touches my head, or if my grandkids or my children or my wife, and that's fine. But if you reach out and just want to rub my and I my my natural response is to pull back. I really don't like, and one of the reasons that is, is because we're very protective of our head. It, it holds all um, the emotions of our life right there. And, and so we're very protective intuitively. And then there's the hand to body. And again, this is not sexual. This is about knowing that person. Donald Joy in his book shares a story about this girl who had a call to missions. And the boy that she was dating and was falling in love with, he had a call to the to the ministry, but they were going two different directions, and they and they broke up, and it was just so hard on her. And he was asking her, "Why do you feel so brokenhearted over this?" And and he says, "I I know his form. I know what he looks like when he walks, the way he walks. I've fallen in love with this person, and there's this intimacy." What, what happens far too often in relationships today is they have these first three encounters and they move up to the naked and unashamed, that which is reserved for the marriage bed. And then a year later, this person says, well, I didn't know him or I didn't know her. And they haven't allowed that true intimacy to develop. Well, you say, what does all that have to do with Abraham? Well, we had plans and dreams for our lives. And Abraham had plans and dreams for his life as well. Look with me at um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Abraham said, Go. Where? Where do you want me to go, Lord? To the land where I will show you. But where is it, Lord? Well, just wait and see. Don't you hate those words, wait and see? I think if you're a parent, uh, if you're a mom or a dad, or if you're a grandparent, you probably have shared those words over the years. Matter of fact, it probably drives your children crazy. Wait and see. Dad, can we play video games later on? I don't know. Let's just wait and see. Dad, is it going to snow? I don't know. Let's just wait and see. Dad, if it snows, can we build a snowman? I don't know. Just wait and see. Dad, what are we having for dinner? I don't know. Just wait and see. Dad, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? No. As adults, Grandpa doesn't go to Chuck E. Cheese either. As adults, we struggle with the same things, don't we? We, we struggle with ambiguity. We struggle with um, not knowing. We want to know now. We want answers right now. Where is it, Lord, that you want me to go? God says to Abraham, wait and see. 
Now let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The scripture says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now this after this was not easy, it was not smooth, it was not painless. After 10 or 15 years of waiting on a child, they still were childless. After 10 or 15 years of traveling to Canaan, a land that was already occupied, and then they went to Bethel because the land of Canaan was occupied, and then they faced a famine. And so Abraham goes to Egypt. And because his wife is so good-looking, he says, they'll surely kill me for you. Just say you're my sister, which was really kind of true because we find out later in Genesis chapter 20 that they shared the same father. They had different mothers, and so she really was his sister. It was only kind of a half lie. After this, you see, this was not an easy after this. It wasn't smooth. It it wasn't painless. They came back to Bethel, and, and they grew, and... And uh, Abraham and Lot came to this place where their, their flocks became so large they, they needed to separate. And so they separated. And then there were these four kings from the north who came down upon the five kings from the south. And, and of course, we know that Lot uh, had his home just outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when they came down and took the five cities of the south, Lot's family was also taken captive. And Abraham hears of this, and so he gathers 317 men, and he goes, and in a nighttime raid, he takes back Lot and his family and all the things that have been taken from them. And they win this battle. You see, this was not an easy after this. Then Abraham goes to the priest Melchizedek, and he offers him a tenth of the spoils. You see, the story that God offers to us is not always easy. The promise of God is not always easy and smooth or painless. God calls us to go. Look at Genesis 15:1 again. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And he says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. So God comes to Abraham, and and Abraham says, I'm going to give you, and God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a gift. And I'm sure Abraham probably thought to himself, finally, finally, I'm going to receive the blessing that God has intended for me to have. I'm going to receive this child that he has intended for me to have. And he can't wait to receive this blessing, the child that he had been longing for. But then Abraham responds this well, the blessing finally, and God says to him, "It's not about the blessing, Abraham. It's not about the child. It's not about the land. It's not about the promises. What I want to give you is myself." Look at it again, Genesis chapter fifteen, verse one. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward. He was looking for the blessings of God, but God was giving him himself. And he gives to us himself. Abraham's response was, but 
But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Lord, what can you give me? I have no children. An heir. The heir will be a servant in my household. You you made these promises, but they, they haven't come true for me. And God comes back to Abraham and says, basically, Abraham, you're missing the point. The point is, is not the blessings. The point is, the gift is me. The gift is me. And God gives himself to Abraham. Then God does this, goes through this elaborate ceremony known as the cutting of the covenant. A covenant was like a contract, except it was far more binding and far more serious. In this example, Abraham was instructed to take a heifer and a goat and a ram and a pigeon and a dove. And he he was to cut the heifer and the goat and the ram in half. And he was to keep the doves and the pigeon whole. And he was placed them on each side of an aisle. So Abraham did that. You see, this was a common covenant in that day. It was a covenant that two people would make amongst themselves. It was a binding contract. And what they were saying is, if I break this contract, may it happen to me as as what has happened to these animals. If I break this covenant with you, may you cut me in two. And this was done in front of witnesses. So God tells Abraham, to make this covenant, I mean, to, to lay this out for him. And the parties make the agreement. Now, let's look at the scripture. Let's read it from here. I think it's just, so, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Then go to the next scripture, please. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord. Next scripture. It's not there. Let me find it in my Bible. What verse was that? 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. Now, I don't know if you get what has happened here. But on that day, God passed through. They made this covenant, but Abraham didn't pass through. God was saying to you, I give you myself. He passed through the covenant alone. And he was saying to you, I love you. Many years ago, I decided that there was nothing that my children could ever do to change my love for them. I will always love them. They are my children. It doesn't matter what choices they make in life, they will always be my children, and I 
loved them. God passes through this covenant. And he makes a covenant with you. And he offers to us this cup of salvation. Now many years ago, when Debbie and I were dating, over time she learned to trust me. And she said yes to my proposal in marriage. We stood and there were family and friends and her family and my family on each side of the aisle. And we walked down the aisle. We made this covenant with one another. God makes this covenant to you. And he is the groom. And we are his bride. Abraham didn't quite get it. He thought it was about the blessings, but it was really about God making himself available to mankind. Now go with me back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Think about all the phrases that this phrase isn't. God says, I will. God doesn't say, I might. God says, I will. God doesn't say, I can't. God says, I will. He doesn't say, I will try my best or I'll think about it. God says, I will. Not, you will. Earlier, Jamie read that scripture from Revelations. that talks about the bride. He is the groomsman. He has made this commitment to you. He offers to you the cup of salvation. He stands at the door and knock. He wants to have a relationship with you. Oh, I know it's risky. But the greater the risk, the greater the opportunity. I know it's risky to say, Lord, I, I give you my plans, my dreams, my goals. And I lay them at the altar. I I believe that your ways are higher than my ways. And I trust you with the future. I know it's risky to to let go of this piece of paper. And and to listen to wait and see. But his wait and see is better than our plans, our dreams, and our goals. Pastor Egger is going to come and sing. We're going to open the altar this morning. And I have a question for you. Will you accept the cup of salvation? Think about it. For 4,000 years, Debbie and I dated for 32 months. For 4,000 years, God has been providing this opportunity so that you might have a relationship with him. God loves you. Do you get that? And he wants the best for your life. Will you trust him with your future? Will you lay it on the altar? If you do not know him as your Savior and Lord, today is the day of salvation. I encourage you to take that step of faith, to trust him. Oh, I know it's a risk. But the greater the risk, 
greater the opportunity. Let's sing together.